Welcome to episode one of Queer Stake, where I talk to queer current and former members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This first interview is with Scott, my roommate and one of my best friends. Now, before we start, a quick warning that sexual assault and rape are major themes talked about later in this episode. So, settle down for a personal family home evening and enjoy Scott's story. Okay, um, this is... I don't even know how to start these, I guess. Um, I am Mika McIntosh, interviewing Scott McClellan for this project. Here, I'm going through a few different names. Um, mm -hmm. One I'm thinking of is um, the Anti-Nephi Queerites. Okay. Yeah, I was hoping to get a laugh out of that one. Aha. Uh -huh. Damn, stop Sorry. humoring me, Scott. Sorry, I just no. I was I was waiting for you to hear the other ones because I was gonna say which one I liked the most. I can't actually. I think it was just queerites by itself. Okay. Um, um, or possibly queer steak since I use that in Tumblr. Yeah, I've seen it on Twitter too, so it would be something that some people probably recognize. Um, I'd say go for Anthony by queerites. So it's your own thing. Yeah, I. And I was just not expecting the joke part necessarily, but yes, it is. A, it is a humorous take. <laughs> That's... On the anti-Nephi-Lehites. Yeah. Um, I had a few more written down, but I think they were in my bigger notebook, which I couldn't bring with me because mm -hmm. of space. So right. I've got this tiny one. Um, and if you come up with more yeah. names, I'm sure that they'll be fine. Oh, thank you. Um, I, so, yeah, interviewing Scott McClellan. Um, um, first off, let's talk about how we know each other. So, we met after the first... Um, uh, the first time I hung out with I was hanging out with somebody else named Ditto and it was the first night I'd mm -hmm. ever hung out with him and the first time I'd ever met him really? Mm -hmm. I was, thought you two had been friends for a while no so the way that worked is that we both had a mutual friend who wanted to hang out with us but that mutual friend cancelled on both of us and then left us to hang out with each other which ended up working out just fine because we became pretty good friends for about a few, for a few months before he started um dating someone else super seriously and kind of closed himself off but um uh yeah so one night we all went to go watch a dollar showing of gravity with a bunch of people and that was how i met mika because stanley his old roommate had been invited and we bonded over sufyan because we both talked about how much we like sufyan and what else there was one oh the fact that I was from Virginia, and Mika had studied in Virginia, and that was very interesting to both of us. And then after that, we just kind of naturally hit it off, became friends, and yeah, here we are. I mean, it's been, that was in 2014 when that happened, so been over four years since we met. Yeah. Cool. Um, I can go into more detail if we can, we, but I don't know if this interview is meant for our story or if it's meant for a different kind of story. True, it, it is meant more for your stories. Than, so than our story. Our story but... is one for is a really good story. So yeah, it's a very I mean, that that could be one of your stories. Honestly, could, it could be. Yeah, but um, I'm thinking the the stories I'd like to share kind of all thematically match up with stages of my life and how I coped with being both gay and Mormon growing up, as well as you know my transition away from that the church at least. So um, I kind of think I want to stick with those three for this time. Cool. But if you need more stories off, like 
on or off the record. I don't know if it really matters. <laughs> uh, I'm happy to share more stories because I have more than the ones I'm telling right now. And our story, like I said, is one that I'm sure a lot of people will be riveted by. It's full of ups and downs and highs and lows and drama oh, and love. The drama. The drama of it all. But it all has ended super well, though. If any of the listeners or readers are curious, obviously he's sitting in my bedroom closet with me, so we have to have some level of mutual trust and admiration. <laughs> yeah, if I hated him, I, I wouldn't want to be in the closet with him. No. Metaphorically, after this interview is over, we'll both be stepping out of this closet as well. Hey. And literally. Um, let's, let's get to the stories. Sure. So you have three stories for us then? I do. Um, my first one starts from when I was really young, probably about four or five years old. My mom was the young women's president, first counselor. She was in young women's leadership, um, and it was actually pretty freshly after she had gotten baptized. My mom's a convert to the church. Um, it was one of the first callings she had. She loved it. She loves working with youth, primary, kids, anything like that. But um, she had invited all of the young women over to watch some kind of romantic comedy movie. And, I mean, I don't remember any of these women's names. I don't remember much about them. But I just remember that a lot of them were just hooping and hollering. The And, like, this one scene where a guy had taken off his shirt or had said something extremely romantic while looking into the girl's eyes and... Uh, they were just all swooning and swept away by it all. And I remember thinking to myself, like, yeah, I feel like that too. But I felt also this inclination inside myself that something that I was feeling and why, and what I was, like, expressing in my own mind was not something that I should share. Something about it felt like it was wrong in some way. And something about it felt like I, if I were to say, oh, yeah, I totally see where you guys are coming from. This guy is super hot or... Yeah, I feel like those little romantic tinglies from those kinds of like perfect things that male leads in romantic comedies tend to say. But it just felt like I couldn't share that. And I remember thinking to myself that I wanted to express that some way, and I didn't know how, but that was like the first, I think, inkling I had, that there was something that was different about me that wasn't a quirky, different thing like oh, I like to read comic books all night in the dark. That, like, kids my age, if that was something that I found out that I did, maybe I'd get bullied on the school ground for a day for being a comic book kid, but then they'd either forget about it or realize they all liked comic books too. So what the, what's the point of fighting me on that one? Whereas this was like, if someone found out that I was actually feeling kind of an attraction to a man on a movie or feeling like things that the girls were talking about that I didn't know how to really put words to, that might be something that might stick with me for a long, long time. So, I remember that as well, this, the following Sunday, um, in church, in primary, we talked about, like, you know, in primary, they talk about, um, like, the commandments, and they talk about, like, pretty adult things sometimes, but sugar-coated in, like, very kid-friendly ways. And I remember we talked about chastity, and I remember thinking to myself, like, and some, I mean, the way we talked about it, too, was not like, they didn't have, like, a sex ed lesson with, like, four or five-year-olds. It was, like, more like, don't touch other people unless you give they give you permission to touch them. And wait till marriage in order to express yourself in ways that maybe you'll find out you're going to have. And that was one of those lines that, like, really was like, what? Like, because I was like, wait till marriage to express things that I feel. Like, this could be something I'm allowed to feel later on. But there was still something that just felt, like, unwelcome about it. And that was one of the first times I really felt like I knew that I was probably going to end up being attract, like attracted to men as I got older. And that 
at that point in my life, I didn't think I was going to ever do anything about it. So that was story one. Um, story two happens kind of, I guess, right, um, right before my mission, maybe like right in high school, before college. I'm not really positive on the timeline. But at this point in my life, I still had that sort of cognitive dissonance going on in my mind where I knew that I wanted to be LDS. I wanted to be in the church and I wanted to go on a mission. I didn't know why I did because I knew that I feel I felt the way I did. In fact, I'd given expression to those feelings to multiple men in high school. Um, and I don't know, again, like that dissonance and I had like I knew that I wanted I, I wondered I wondered if it was less about faith in the church at that point. Or if I was worried about embarrassing myself and not fulfilling things that it was that were expected of men my age in the church. So, ironically, I was the only guy my age in my ward to go on a mission, even though there were other guys my age, and they just didn't go. But I felt like if I didn't go, maybe they'd uh, the, like they'd look at me differently than they would if they looked at them. But anyway, um, I remember that one of the guys that I was very, very, very attracted to, and just like head over heels in love with, I would even say my teenage love was someone who was Southern Baptist and his whole family was extremely involved in that as well. He was even part of that as well. And it was super interesting being someone that was also from a very Christian background to be dating someone else. And though we didn't call it that, we both were also kind of afraid of our feelings at points as well. That also was very Christian. And it was just like, we had a lot of very theological discussions about what we were doing as well as whether we could ignore it in favor of what we believed or and this guy I've known I know now is um, has come out to his family is engaged to a good guy that I've met he's one he's still a friend of mine we didn't we didn't end on the greatest terms before I uh, left for college but which yeah I guess that does put a timestamp on it because he was from Virginia but um, at the same time I still thought, despite how strongly I felt for this this guy and how much we had invested in one another, at emotionally at least, that there was no way that I was going to end up with a man in the long term. Like, still didn't matter that I had only ever felt those feelings that people talk about feeling in songs, movies, like I talked about before, with him or with other another man, and that the idea of being with a woman like that even gave me nightmares as a kid, like the stress of would I be able to sexually perform or the stress of would I be actually attracted to her or would I be lying through my teeth the entire time and my entire eternity would be spent in a lie, which would be ironic since, you know, part of the celestial kingdom requirement is that you're an honest person. So, like, how on earth would I both be an honest person by marrying a woman and doing what I need to do to get to the celestial kingdom, but also at the same time, how would I get there if the entire thing was based on a lie like the the idea that is when I think one of the first ways I was like thinking maybe the church isn't going to end up being okay for me because imagining no matter what I chose in life to be a death sentence so to say like eternally was a really difficult thing to make a decision about and a lot of the conversations that this guy and I had his name is Jacob really led me to believe to talk to think about that kind of stuff being that he was a very Christian person himself and that he thought about this kind of stuff too. He thought the idea of a woman, he even went so far as to say, as I think Kinsey Six repulsed him, 
I know Kinsey's scale is very outdated and not very reliable in terms of actually defining sexuality, but I think he was making a reference to a movie or something like that. <laughs> Still, that, that idea scared him out of his mind as well, even though he has a different set of beliefs about what's happened, what happens in eternity and as it relates to marriage. But he obviously believed that gay marriage was something, or being, or gay expression even, was something that was also somewhat sinful. And so to have that very deep conversation as a 17, 18 year old was something that really awoke in the idea of me that there's a possibility that I could do this in the long run, even if it meant leaving the church. Because then, of course, he did the same thing. He left, he left his church and still kind of exp- and still practices spirituality in some ways. But I, you know, I went to BYU, and this kind of leads over to story three. Um, didn't do much about being gay my first year, and then went on an LDS mission to Germany and Austria and Switzerland. Really had a tremendously good time for the most part. There were certain aspects of it that are other stories I could tell that relate to being gay and Mormon that I think are a little dark. Um, I'd love to tell them maybe a different time, or if, again, Mika, you want some more stories to be um, told. No, I will always take more stories, and the dark stories are also needed, Okay. I guess, but yet you don't have to tell them right now. We can talk well, about I this. Can, and... I can tell them. I mean, I think I've told you personally before, but for the sake of logging it and having some words to put down, I'll... I'll get to those after I share the th- this trifecta of stories okay. that kind of are, in my opinion, in my opinion, the theme of them is the burgeoning sexuality versus, like where I'm, I mean, I know you can't see me because I'm, I'm speaking to a microphone, but <laughs> I'm holding up two hands, one of which is higher than the other, and on the low end right now is the sexuality. On the high end is the church belief and the church desire to be faithful and strong and, you know, and that was me as a four year old. I was like one of those very churchy four year olds that was super annoying in primary. This middle story is where I started to kind of meet in the middle, and like now my fists are punching together because they're about equal. And this last story is, I think, where I finally tipped my scale, where my sexuality became and my ability to express that and feel happy in it because it was one of the few ways I felt like I would be able to really be happy. And the church fell down in my notches of what made me happiest. So I was, I moved back to BYU after my mission. And I, um, was scared. I was terrified because I'd moved into a ward where, um, or into an apartment complex where my mom only knew two things. One, the girl that had, that had recommended it to me or to her to live there had moved out and I knew this girl. So I was like, this is the one friend I thought I would have had and I'm kind of introverted. So I need a springboard in order to make friends. And the other girl that I was, um, familiar with in the ward had told my sister, who had also helped arrange my living arrangements here in this new place, that she had no no desire to be my friend after I came home from my mission. And we had been very good friends right before my mission. So it was really, really rough because the two people I thought I'd have connection with that would be able to be my springboard into friendship were not there. Or one of them was there, but was not my friend. Did she ever explain why? No, and part of me wonders if it was just because she liked the fact that I... that I was almost on her string our freshman year. Like, I tried to almost even date her my freshman year to see if I could prove to myself that I was still straight because it was that that fighting time where I'm like, well, I want to be the A, but also, like, I'm at BYU now, so I'm surrounded by people that are faithful, and, like, it's like this still, like, going up and down between what's more important to me at that time. But, yeah, so, like, that was really hard. And eventually, though, I started becoming become better friends with my roommates and by virtue of being better friends with them and they were extremely outgoing and popular, so to say, in the ward. 
So I started making friends with people in my ward. And one of them, her name was Rachel. And Rachel was super cool. Like, she... Um, was she was actually a freshman at BYU. She was very young, but she didn't seem it. She was one of those people that grew up, must have grown up so fast at home. And probably because it sounded like she has like 12, 11 or 12 siblings. And she was like the second or third youngest. And so a lot of her growing up was probably raising those younger siblings as well as being raised by her siblings too and her parents. So like she had a lot of very positive role models. And this was also, like I said, a dark time, though, because even though I did have a few friends, I didn't feel like anyone understood me because, again, I was gay. I didn't know anyone else in my ward who was gay or anyone else at BYU who was gay. I thought I was alone. And Mormons building bridges in USGA had started really coming to fruition when I was on my mission. I had heard rumors about it on my mission. Sometimes people hearing about this gay club that was forming at BYU that people were talking smack about and stuff like that. But I didn't, again, it was still like, I can't believe that. Like, there's no other Mormons that feel the way I like that I do. I'm alone. And I was very convinced of that. And it almost gave me this weird form of solace that I was like, I'm different in this way, and then no one's going to be able to understand me. And I felt like a scene kid in the 2000s. And it was hard. But like I said, I found this friend. She was really awesome to me. And I think I could tell over time that she was actually developing feelings for me, which she was developing, I think, as a result of the fact that she really, really liked my roommate, but he wasn't ever interested and then the fact that I was still so nice to her and talked her through those hard things that she was worried about started to make her think maybe, well, maybe I'm the one that she should be interested in or something. And in that meantime, there was that one viral video that came out in like late 2013 or 2014 where about the guy that proposed to his then fiance, now husband, in the Home Depot to that like dance routine like that they all did in the Home Depot to that Betty Who song. And I remember thinking, this video is so cool, and it's like, I didn't, and I realized, oh, it's in Salt Lake City, that's like, the Home Depot that's up in the 21, 21st South. Like, I've been there before. Like, it just seemed like, that's kind of cool, there are gay people that are successfully, probably Mormon, because, like, how big this family is, like, there's, like, all these family members coming out to say congratulations to these two as they're getting engaged on camera and stuff like that. And then I realized, and I looked at who uploaded the video, that his last name was the same as my friend Rachel's. And I mean, her name wasn't super uncommon, but it was also still somewhat unique. Like, it's not, I, I didn't know anyone else with that last name. And so I figured, I watched the video again and again, and I finally realized that Rachel was in this video. Like, she was one of the dancers. And I'm thinking, wow, she is so accepting of her brother right now. I'm assuming, since they're the same last name, that they're brother and sister maybe even maybe stepbrother maybe half brother I don't know I mean given how much of an age difference there is here because he was in his probably early 30s or late 20s and she was 17 when that video was made so again all these things adding up in my mind to be like oh wow this is like Rachel my friend Rachel no wonder she is so nice to me all the time maybe she knows she didn't know at first and so at one night she wanted to have that talk with me about whether or not we should consider going on a date and I told her that I wanted to go out for a drive. And it was the very first time I ever had the courage to come out to someone who was an active member of the church. Um, I had come out to some friends from home, who I grew up with in high school, who weren't LDS and who were far from it. And I had come out to people that were either already gay at BYU, like people that I was meeting through whatever medium I could find, but I also was still feeling like I needed to do this because I wanted to prove to myself that 
there were people that I knew that could be accepting of this that are in the church too. And on top of that, all those people I was meeting at the time when this happened, I wasn't close enough with yet that I was like, this is someone I can trust to hang out with all the time. And I wanted to take that next step to tell Rachel this about myself because for one, I felt like maybe she'll be accepting because she has a family member who's gay and is married or getting married. And B, she also just seems to be somebody who will stick up for me in the ward if something were to go awry and someone were to spread a rumor about me or if I were to never make another friend in the ward. At least I have this friend and I want her to know this about me. And it was risky, but it paid off. I came out to her using the only vernacular I knew at the time, which was same gender attracted. But I, um, well, I knew of other vernacular. I shouldn't say that. But I only was comfortable using that one because for one, I didn't want her to be like, but Jeffrey R. Holland said that being gay is not a real thing. Hmm. And I didn't think she would say that, but I was afraid. So I used whatever vernacular I knew of as well as what I felt like another more, like an, a very active member of the church um, would understand and would not contest. And for one, she just hugged me and just, it was the best. I cried a little bit. I, she, we both cried a little bit. And it was one of the most bonding moments ever. And I was glad as well that she didn't get mad at me like I heard some girls do when they find out that the guy they like is gay. But she was so, she was my number one supporter. We Even after she got married to the roommate she was in love with that she gave up for me, she went back to him again after I, <laughs> after I really forced that roommate to give her another try. And they're now married and have baby one, possibly baby two on the way. So... I can just, you can just call me the gay Mormon matchmaker, but, um, I feel like that more implies that you match gay Mormons. That's also something that sometimes happens though. Okay. I'm just really good at reading who belongs with who, I guess. I'm no, just kidding. Yeah. Well, then, well, oh, okay. Never, no, it's basically you, like, why haven't you done that for me? <laughs> um, only because you've been more mobile than most. <laughs> <laughs> I have not been... As I hinted at, there are some ups and downs to Mika and my story. Um, also, my story with Rachel is concluded. And the reason I consider it my third story is because after that point was when I really began to accept that I was gay and I was allowed to be. Because she accepted me. And that was when I started dating men more prolifically and when I started being okay with the fact that I was at BYU and was allowed to express my sexuality. Even And then obviously I couldn't do it openly. And obviously if I went off and bragged about it, that would be really bad. But I knew that I was okay. I didn't feel wrong. I didn't feel like I was sinning anymore, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I also stopped going to church as much. But, um, anyway, to answer Mika's question, like I mentioned, there are some ups and downs to his and my story. There was a period of time that was not great for both of us, where we both had some fundamental disagreements and fundamental, like, differences in our personalities, and I was That's undergoing... That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, I know. It's just... <laughs> We can get into more details for the listeners and readers later, but the fact is I made some major mistakes and I did some things that were regrettable that I shouldn't have done. Mika held me accountable to those things and it was hard, but we had to end our friendship for about a year, I think. Yeah. And then just kind of naturally as friendship typically starts anyway, we started talking again and we started trusting each other again we started hanging out and now we're kind of at this very mature friendship phase that we're both at and I am grateful for Mika I am grateful for his support in my life with things that have been difficult 
as well as the consistency with which he, I know I can rely on him to talk to me about basically anything. <laughs> so, there's that. But those are my three stories. Yeah. How do you feel about uh, the mission stories? Um, I can share them. In fact, they're kind of fresh on my mind because uh, I went camping last night and we talked about missionary sexy stories. Ooh. Like things that other guys there or even... Well, no, I don't think any of the women there had gone on a mission. But the guys there had talked about experiences they had with other dudes on the mission that definitely were gay in some way or were not... Or like, like a kind of like queer expression of like male to male like love yeah and whether that was just friendship and giving and like those burgeoning feelings that some of the men had or not was kind of up for debate but my stories were hard to share because my stories were both well more than both every time that anything happened on my mission to me that was at all sexual was just that it happened to me it wasn't that I sought it, and it wasn't a good experience. It was more of a harmful and confusing experience that I don't ever feel like I'll ever have the right way to share it to my li in my life. I'm going to share it now, of course, but I, for example, the other night my mom was in town, and we were talking about the Me Too movement. And my sister, who talks very openly about the time that she was sexually assaulted, the times, plural, I guess, and it's very hard because I've been sexually assaulted and raped, and my mom knows these people. My mom likes these people because when I first talked about them as my friends and my mission companions, they were harmless people who were my companions. They, made, they had funny stories that I could talk about and stuff like that. And both of them are married now and have kids. And so it just doesn't seem believable. And my mom already makes my sister's life pretty hard sometimes whenever my sister wants to openly share things about her attacker. And my mom still just tries to squash that down. And have, But if she knew, I don't know how she'd react. And that's kind of what scares me a little bit. But um, my... First, the first time that this happened was in Vienna, which was my very first area of my mission. It was my very first transfer. Um, transfer being six weeks at the time. I don't know if transfers have changed since. But six weeks of me being in my very first area, my trainer was going home after his transfer, after the transfer we had together, so I knew I was gonna get a new companion. And one of the zone leaders that was in the, in the Vienna area that I was in uh, was very, very just, very flamboyant. I always knew that about him from the instant I saw him. And he was pretty attractive at the time. That retrospect, I look back and I'm going, why did I ever think that about him? But he was very nice to me. And it was just so cool. In my entire life before that, I had never had anybody be that interested in my welfare or my life or want to ask me that many questions about myself, especially not from a guy. Like, most anyone that had ever developed that much of interest from interest in me was another was a woman or was a friend like a girlfriend of some kind so having this like really cool connection i had with this guy was like amazing i was like feeling it and i was like i shouldn't be feeling this but i know and like and prior to my mission technically if you call it wasn't worthy because i had been dating guys i had done things sexually with guys 
And so I was just trying my best, though, to not do it, because that dissonance in my mind of, like, I can have sex with guys, I can have feelings for guys, but in the end, I'll be with a girl, was what was still overarching, especially at the start of my mission like that. And then I started to let myself feel a little bit more vulnerable around him, this guy, because he was my zone leader, so he was a leader, and we were in the same exact city, like, we saw each other, and we were in the same church building, we'd see each other all the time, and he would try to do these little sneaky things to try to test whether or not I, like, I felt the way he was feeling about me. Like things like getting really close to my face and seeing how I'd, how I'd react, or he'd um, like give me a little like, like massage on my shoulder or a little like pat, and like would hold his hand there and see if I wouldn't be like, hey, like recoil or something like that. And obviously I wouldn't, because I was enjoying the fact that I felt like I was attractive, or I felt like I was like interesting to this person, even if I wasn't positive he was gay, but it was pretty clear that something was not straight about him <laughs> and I don't know part of it was just like at first like totally cool and then transfer day came my, my companion left and he purposefully put us together for like um, temporary companions while we waited for ours to arrive because both of our companions were coming from the deep depths of Switzerland so they were having the longest train ride of their day and they weren't going to arrive until like the end of the day and we also had to set up a brand new apartment for one of those elders, because elder, elder pairs, because they were adding a whole new pair of elders to the city. So yeah, we were kind of paired together all day. And at that point was when he basically let loose. Like, he started to be very forceful with his contact of me. Would, like, force me into a shower with him. And I was super uncomfortable the whole day. Because I thought at first... Well, it's kind of cool to feel like I'm special to somebody, but I don't want to feel special like this, where my whole future could be in jeopardy, because BYU would not accept me back if I was sent home in shame, and that was where I was going to college. I didn't apply anywhere else. I didn't want to have to go through that again or go through the shame of being home and knowing and either having to tell everyone the truth of why I was there or have to lie about it and my poor family and all they'd go through and everything. And that actually almost happened, because even though I've made it very clear throughout it, the experience that I didn't consent to what was happening, to being touched or not even quite touched like that because he would do whatever he could to still feel like he was following the rules, this other elder, I mean, and would not let me, like, say no, but he would also try to do what he could to make it, like, almost, like, plausible deniability. Like, he wouldn't, he would be super afraid of actually touching my penis. But he gets so close to it as possibly he could. And then would like just make a comment like, oh, if only we were still home before. Like, I mean, I would totally be on this right now. Things like that. But also, like, you don't have to grab someone's penis or any other of their private parts for it to be sexual assault, especially if the intent is clearly still in a sexual thing. Even if that expression of it was something he was clearly afraid of as well. But a few weeks later, after my new companion had come, we um, had a big zone-wide activity that he had put together, and this guy was like a type A, very, very particular person, and so if someone was late to an activity that he put together, or someone was like not into this activity, he was like very angry. But me and my companion were very late to it, because we had come from another area that day that we were going, we had gone to a baptism in, so we had come from a faraway like, city to get to where he was. And he got so mad at me in particular, of course, because obviously he, like, felt like I was going to be able to take it. 
And then he brought me when he saw how upset I was by the fact that he had called me things and said things to me like that over to like the men's bathroom in the church where we were having this activity. And these doors on this men, one men's bathroom in the whole church had no locks. They were just swing doors. And they were pretty thick, so I don't think sound really traveled very easily from like the hall into the bathroom either. But he started talking to me and I was like, oh, I was okay with that. Yes, I had been assaulted before that and I was like still kind of afraid of him. But then um, I was just more concerned at that point with the fact that I still had emotional feelings and it was almost like a Stockholm Syndrome, Beauty and the Beast kind of thing because he was, I mean, yeah, we weren't alone together very much after that, thankfully, but except for right then in this very moment that I'm describing, but like I still felt like because he was the only other person I could think of on the mission who was feeling the same way I was feeling that he's like a, my captor, so to say, like, and he had captivated me in that way as well. And I was talking to him, trying to sort out my, like, frustrations at him for what he said, and then he just pulls his pants down in front of me. Like, all the way down. Like, fully exposed. In the main area of the bathroom, too. Not in a stall. Not, like, in private. Not, there's no lock on the door, like I said. And he, like, grabs my hand and, like, puts my hand on his penis. And I was horrified. I had not asked for that. I just wanted to talk and make sure that we were both on the same page. And literally right around that exact same moment where he had grabbed my hand, put it on his penis, and then let go of my hand, and I was about to pull away, his companion comes bar bursting through the door to the bathroom. And I could see the look on his companion's face. Of, and this, this companion was German, like a native German, and he spoke very little English. And, but I could see the look of expression, like the expression on his face that was just shock. Like, what did I just see? And then I was terrified. I ran out of the bathroom, like heart rate higher than I ever could imagine my heart rate ever getting, thinking, this is it. I'm going home. I've just been caught in the middle of a sex act, even though I didn't consent to it, but it doesn't matter. Church, the church is going to see me as having consented. And I'm going to have to go home and tell my parents that I did something that they had no idea I had ever done before that and that I would never have done on my mission and of course like none of it was something I had visibly sought or, or physically sought out it was like a total like like miss like like hodgepodge thing. and this guy by the way was big like stature wise like he was like like six foot three six foot four pretty muscly and pretty intimidating as well like I said so like he was very easily I was like and I'm only like five eleven six foot and so like, I was smaller than him, and I was terrified, like I said, that he was going to just, like, if I didn't comply with any of his requests to, like, follow along. Did someone say shush? Do you hear that? Mm -mm. Oh, sorry, I thought I heard someone saying shh. Like, Justin was telling me I was talking too loudly or something. Um, but, yeah, bad news. The story ended up that the elder, the companion, did tell the mission president and his and the mission president's German was terrible, and I'm sure that the elder tried to t explain it in both English and German, but wasn't clear, wasn't super clear because I was under the impression that what we had done was send homeable. Yeah, like we were gonna both be sent home, even though he was in his last transfer too, and I was in my second transfer at that point. So like I was just like, I've ruined my mission. I'm only gonna be like here for a few months, and. That didn't happen, as you can, as obviously I'm kind of my language hints at. 
Mission president interviewed me, though, suddenly when he came into town. The other elder he had interviewed first, and the other elder had said everything, but had said that I had tempted him, and had said that I had been the aggressor, and had been I had been the one that told him to pull his pants down, and everything like oh that. Oh my gosh, but he's the one who's, of course, larger stature, so of course... And also much more effeminate sounding, too, like his... Like, like it seemed more likely to, even though he was larger like that... I think the mission president initially believed him, and then, but of course, he needed to talk to me first. I explained though the things I was feeling. He was said he talked about his shock, that he didn't expect that about me at all. Like he had kind of expected it about this other elder. Like he can, like he says, he said, there are certain people out there that you can just kind of tell. Oh my gosh. And I was like, uh huh. And he was like, I didn't think you were one of those people, though, Elder McClellan. And, like, anyway. Was he was, also one of those people who was very proud that he could say your last name? Yeah, and he would say that all the time, very much, like, I mean, mission presidents and missionaries in general have always called each other by their last names, but, um, but, um, anyway, yeah, um, it was just kind of, like, hard, because I had to explain something to another, another, uh, to a, so I guess me telling my story about Rachel was not the first time I came out to an active LDS member of the church. This was the first time I came out to someone that was an active straight member of the church, but it wasn't by my choice. And that's why I think I sometimes forget about it because I was forced into it and I had to talk about it very, very extensively. It was very painful, but obviously, like I said, I got to stay on my mission. I actually even, so to say, excelled on my mission after that. Like I got to be in leadership roles. I was trusted by my mission president after that point, which I was terrified he wouldn't trust me and he'd just stick me with really hard, so to say, companions, ones that were like not interested in doing the missionary thing at all, even though I was at the time, and also missionaries that wouldn't let me grow at all as a person. They'd make me like have to babysit them. And there were quite a few of them on our mission. And so I was afraid of that, but again, I was glad that he ended up trusting me. However, I was not glad that he paired me with someone before that trust really took hold, who did something far worse than the first elder did. So, a few transfers had passed. I had been moved to a new area, a city in Germany called Ingolstadt, where Audis are made. Um, it's about an hour north of Munich. And I... It was the beginning of spring, and it had been very cold that winter, so I was really like, having... A uh, nice time thinking about the idea of being in warm weather again. And my companion, my new companion, was a guy that I'd heard about on the mission trip who was like, everyone talked about being super funny and kind of like, kind of like, like sharp witted, even like sometimes he'd be like that. He's like an insult, like kind of comic, like he'd make fun of you, but then he'd laugh about it and then you'd both be laughing about it. And I was like, okay, cool. When I heard he was going to be my companion, not at all attractive either by the way just so that that is clear he was balding very profusely it's very um had a very high-pitched also somewhat effeminate voice and i don't know not that that's not attractive to some people but i just wasn't attracted to balding people personally sorry if that's a bit revealing about my personality (laughs) i like a good head of hair now, if someone I loved eventually started balding, again, side note, I'd still probably love them probably. equally as much. Probably, like, yes. Like, 99, unless they become a dick, then I'm not going to love them. But that's probably different than the balding part. 
someone I already was attracted to bald, still attracted to them. That's clear. There we go. Um, anyway, this guy was, like, super cool with me, though, and I was, like, I'm making, like, a solid friend on my mission right now. This is the first companion where I've been, like, yes, we click, which should have been another warning sign, because I swear, anytime I clicked with a guy on my mission where he and I were, like, tight like that, other than one time, <laughs> this happened. And this apartment we lived in in this city was tiny. It was probably about the size of this closet that we're sitting in right now in terms of, like, kitchen space. Mm -hmm. And then the bedroom over there was the entire apartment. So, like, it was a very small place. And that's important to note because it feels like you're getting cooped up in there sometimes. And he had severe allergies, so half the time we'd end up staying home because he, no matter how much allergy medicine he'd take, the little, like, spring fluffy things in the air that were coming out were making him just an asthmatic puffy red mess and it was very hot because in, v in Austria and Germany they don't really believe in air conditioners so a lot of the time that I would spend in that apartment would be in my mesh G's because those are the ones I prefer because I always run hot my temperature is always higher than everyone else's I feel like and I would just wander around in the apartment in there because that was what the missionaries did they just wandered around in their underwear all the time because they had very few casual clothes they could hang out in and if they did, like, it didn't matter. If you were around other dudes, it's like being in a locker room or something. Like, who cares? And I noticed a lot of times that he'd be staring at me more often than I felt comfortable with. And again, I felt like he maybe he might have been attracted to men, but just also had no idea how to express that or didn't want to express that. And then just, like, over time, he would push his limit a little bit. Like, he'd pants me. It's like, when I was wearing G's. And I'd just have to pull up my pants really fast. Like, wouldn't pull them all the way down, but, like, he'd, like, jerk them. And I'd be like, oh. And I would be like, okay, don't do that. And then eventually, I don't remember how it tipped, but, oh. We'd sometimes at night, because our apartment had these giant blinds, you could pull all the way down. And they'd make the, no matter whether it was actually day or night even, like, it would make the entire apartment pitch black. And so we decided that one night when we were just, like, done with our studying, done with all the things we needed to do, that we play hide and seek in my apartment because it didn't matter have, where we hid because it was just pitch black. You just had to like feel around for the person. And that time that we played that when he, on his suggestion, I remember him grabbing my junk by accident, by accident in quotation marks, I feel like now, but I was just like, Oh wow, you found the wrong part, but yeah, you found me. And, and then after that, it just kind of escalated. Like I said, like it, like one night as well, like he, played like we like a truth or dare game with me as well because he loved games too like he was so competitive he wanted to win every game we ever played really badly and he got closer and closer to me and like started to like and because of my also very repressed and, unex and unexpressed sexuality at that time like of being on the mission I had not even like masturbated I know that's a little bit TMI, I guess, and over a year at that point, because I was trying so hard to be good, and, like, I felt like on the mission, like I said, like, it was very difficult to not have that kind of, if you were feeling excited by something, whether it was by your choice or not, at that point, it still felt like it wasn't my choice, like, I was, of course, like, not pushing him away, necessarily, but I wasn't also, like, I was expressing my discomfort at everything that was happening as well, as, like, at the same time, I was like, this doesn't feel right to me, like, and ironically, his trainer was this guy that had assaulted me the first time. 
And so I was like telling him a little bit about that. Actually, I was like, I don't feel like it's right for me because I've already gotten like, I've already talked to the mission president about this before. Um, I don't want to have, like, I understand that like you're not thinking anything of this. This is totally like innocent to you, but it doesn't feel that way to me. I don't feel safe when you're doing these kinds of things, touching me or showing your, showing yourself to me. Like that doesn't feel right. And one time it was a morning before we were going to go out for the day. It was after he had found out that he was going to be transferred away from my area. And I was staying where I was at and I was thrilled by that because I felt like I was getting too tired of all the obviously very like gay expressive things that he was trying to pull with me as a means of expressing himself that way for probably what was his first time though I'd also doubt it too because the way he would talk in those moments where he would ask me questions that were prying into my sexual history or personal life or my feelings that were just like guys that have never that guys that have never watched porn don't know these words you've yep. definitely watched this you've definitely watched gay porn before and anyway like i said the morning came it was time to get ready for the day we had been really slow that morning though because we were um because he was like going on and on about how sad he was that he finally was gonna have to leave this place and even though he didn't like the area very much he liked the members and he liked being around me i guess He's like, you're my best friend in this mission. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah, I mean, I'm going to miss you too, but I mean, hey, it's what happens. People get transferred. And I don't know why or what anymore was the reason he wanted to do that, but he asked, he started asking me for a hug. And I said, okay, I can give you a hug. And he started to like, rub himself against me a little bit and I thought okay well and then he hugged me really tightly and I guess to give you another framework of mine he, he this guy wasn't as tall or in, or in, in, in like what is it called intimidating as the first guy was but he was very strong like he was more robust than the guy the first guy was but like when he was hugging me and squeezing me like that I was not able to move like I was stuck and then I was wearing a V-neck shirt with my garments on and a pair of basketball shorts that were really loose. And so he started rubbing himself against me, and he was about to get in the shower. So, like, he was shirtless, no no garment top even, and then just had his garment bottom on. And he was like, here, let's just hug. I'd really like to, like, hug this out. And then I was like, sure. And I gave him a hug. But, like, again, I shouldn't have done that because I probably should have been able to catch on that obviously he does whatever he can to push boundaries with me right now. But I figured in a hug, yeah, and even though the circumstances weird, I'll do it, whatever. And he hugged me and started, like, squeezing me really tightly and rubbing himself against me and then started moving his arms, like, so he had, like, gripped my, like, body around, like, with, like, a deadlock and started to, like, slide down my body and, like, started to, like, pull my shorts down a little bit. And I remember thinking, no, 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 this isn't happening again. Like, this is not, like, what I want. I want to be here on this mission. I want to... I don't want this person. I don't want to have anything to do with this person. And then... I finally was able to, like, kind of because of the way he had gotten past my arms to do that, 
was able to wriggle out because I was able to use my whole upper body to like just like come free of him and I was like no stop like I cannot have this happen to me like this is not what I consent to I don't know if I use those exact words but those are the worst I, words I can think of now I don't want to do this is essentially what it all boiled down to and I said that over and over again and I was crying and I was like I don't want this I want to be here I want to be safe I want to I want you to go leave right like this at this point I'm not we're not friends if this is why you will treat a friend and he was like okay fine fine and like just acted super nonchalant about it as if nothing had just happened when it did and so I pulled my shorts back up again and then he came back out and super apologetically was like okay this time I promise you I just want to give you a sorry hug I'm sorry I treated you that way and he still hadn't gotten in the shower yet he came out of the bathroom again to like tell me that with his shirt still off and I was like fine okay as long as it'll make you leave me alone it's something like what I said and that time he went full force he grabbed me pushed me into the bathroom locked the door behind him stood in front of the bathroom door and then like asked me told me that basically at that point I'm not going to be able to leave this bathroom until he does until I do what he says and I'm like I'm ready to like fight I'm ready to like punch him I just was afraid though that if I did that and he had a visible bruise or a scar that's another reason you can get sent home from your mission early is if you fight your companion physically and I was like is it more damning to me now if I just do what he says so I can stay or if I fight him and try to escape and then call the mission president and tell him what happened but if I call the mission president and tell him that my mission my companion is trying to seduce me or trying to assault me or rape me even then I'm going to not be believed because it's already happened to me once like that where I was shown to be the aggressor the first time and I had to explain that that was not what happened but if I get the same treatment again if he goes and interviews this elder and this elder says the exact same thing about me then fuck me I'm done for and again I couldn't handle that thought so granted at that point we were locked in the bathroom together and this bathroom is also extremely small like this closet that Meek and I are sitting in is probably about like four feet by six feet and I think that the bathroom is about this exact same size um, and he was standing in front of the door it was locked in Germany the locks on the doors are extremely con convoluted in certain places too so I couldn't easily just go back behind him unlock it and run out and even if I did I was terrified at that point because he had been forceful he had thrown me into this bathroom with him out of nowhere when I was expecting just a simple sorry that I did that hug I was still wearing my, my clothes and then eventually he with his hand still on the door to keep it shut and away from me pulls my shorts down with the mesh garments underneath on or an off and starts to you know go for it on me and I was crying I was screaming at him to stop and I was not and I tried to pull away as much as I possibly could but eventually I was backed into the shower itself because it was just like one wall was the shower and so I was in the shower and he turned the shower on with my shirt still on and with my naked body at the bottom where he was still trying to like touch it and then as soon as I had been backed into that corner he locked shut and locked the shower door behind him and he was already basically naked as it was so like he was just ready to go and turned me around and did some things that in my emotionally weakened state in, in retrospect are rape and it was the most traumatic experience I'd ever had in my life 
still probably is up there today with some things of the most traumatic things that have ever happened. And it really affected me, like, emotionally, way after the fact, because I really struggled to trust people that were nice to me, because I was afraid that they only were interested in the sexual parts of me that I could give them. And it actually led to me being overly sexual when I came home from my mission, I think. Not that being sexual is wrong, but I was very giving with my physical affection I'd give to people because I was afraid that if I didn't give it to them, they wouldn't like me. And I also wanted to be in control of it. I wanted to be the one that said, yeah, I'm going to do some sexual things with you now because I get to decide and you are okay with that, right? Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't force myself on anyone else. I know that that happens to some people, but I would never want that to happen to anyone else the way it happened to me like that. But I definitely think that it it made me angry, confused, and it really made me feel like I needed to have control over sex. And to this day, I sometimes still have some triggers, some traumatic ex- like feelings around sex, because I I worry a lot of the time that it'll feel the same way it felt, or that I'll feel like that's all there is to me. And, I mean, it's been six and a half years now since that happened it was well no not in half about six years exactly because it happened in June of 2012 but again I think about that a lot I never told anybody my entire mission not even the at that point the elder that had done the first thing to me had also gone home so, and even if I wanted to reach out to him, we were, that was a big mission no-no to call across countries or call other elders that were not in your immediate, like, district or zone. Like, we were not, we were very, very, very discouraged from doing that for obvious reasons. Because for one, international phone calls, and also just it wasn't appropriate. Like, if you had an elder you were really tight with that you wanted to keep it up with, you could email them from within on Mondays, or you could send them a letter or something if you felt like you needed to do that. But still, like that form of male friendship in the church in general is not very smiled upon. People like expect men to just be kind of very emotionally distant from each other and still somehow be friends. But that's a bit of a tangent, I guess. In the end, like I said, I it has deeply affected my psyche in a lot of ways, that experience. Um, it also was one of the first times I really felt like as well that the church would probably not end up being for me because... I should never have felt that unsafe to tell somebody that I should have trusted that something horrific had happened to me, something illegal, something that someone should be put on the sex offender registry for, and more. And it hurt because that guy was also in just total denial every time I've ever seen him since. And I have seen him since, not to my choice. He just He's from Canada, from Alberta area. And he came down to Utah a few times to visit with mission friends and around reunion times. And one time he made it a very, very big point to come over to my apartment. And I had ignored his messages, but he had found out that someone else knew where I lived on the mission that told him where I was living. And he came and knocked on my door. And I was like, what are you doing here? I thought we had stopped communicating. And all that stuff. And nope. And he didn't bring it up. He didn't try anything again either. Thank God. 
I also made sure never to be alone around him, though, too. I made sure as soon as he came in the door, he forced his way in, basically, like he did when I didn't really invite him in, to be sure to introduce him to all my roommates and be like, hey, everybody, like, here's my friend from my mission. Like, we were companions. Like, I made it to a point to never be in any room alone with him or to ever allow myself to be in that position of weakness again. And it worked. He didn't try anything on me, thank God. Maybe he also had been in denial that it ever happened to me. But then a few months later, I heard that he was dating this one girl, and then they got married, and now they have a kid. And he sent me a wedding invitation. And it was very cathartic to rip it up and throw it out. And the sucky thing as well is that because it happened on a foreign country, because it's been quite a few years, because why would I wait this long to talk about it now? He'll never probably face any justice for what happened. And he could also have it happened to have done it to somebody else for all I know. And I feel extremely like guilty and angry about that because I could have stopped it if I was the first. I couldn't. I may not have even been the first person he did that to, but I could have stopped it, and I could have done more than I did. But part of me was so repressed in the church to think that, like, there was this deep dark thought in me that even though I was not okay with anything that was happening, I was like, what if this is the only time that it will happen? What if this is the only time I get to have sex with a guy? even though it was painful and it was not good and it was hurt, it hurt and it was just like not anything I would have asked for and nothing I consented to. But like, I think that part of me was what stopped me from also being like physical back at him and trying to assault him in order to get him off of me or trying to do whatever I could to get him to stop. Cause I'm like, the church told me I'm never going to get to have this. So like, um, I have a friend who, like, when I was living in Salt Lake when I was 19, mm-hmm. who said something similar. He was like, Yeah, if I ever get raped by a dude, I'm just gonna, like, might as well enjoy it. Which is a horrific thing to say and have and feel, honestly. I know that there are people out there that feel that way. But I'm sorry for your friend. Yeah, he. And like later, like a year later, came out as bi. It's like, okay, that makes sense. Like, cause he's not the same thing. Like, you know, he's not supposed to. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope that he understands now. And that it's been some time. And that probably isn't something that he should think. I, I would hope. Wish I could give you an answer to that, but I. I haven't spoken to him in four years, I think, mm-hmm. because we, it was after I graduated SVU, um, I stayed at his place, and, like, before I went to SVU, you know, and, like, those entire four years that I knew him, even though we were far apart, like, there'd always been some flirting between us, um, and, like, one night, when I stayed at his place, um, this was like right before I moved to Utah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we ended up messing around, and then I, I was the one who freaked out. Um, and then I just never talked to him again, even though I lived in Utah for two and a half years after. That can happen though too. And it's been another two years, and I've been meaning to, to contact him. Uh, he's married now, has a kid. I had a coworker. I didn't try to who was, like, basically the godmother to his kid. 
Oh. And I still didn't contact him. Um, I think it might be worth it. If you feel comfortable. It is. I was actually thinking like maybe tomorrow I would... Reach out? Yeah. I would say if you give it a shot, then enough time has passed that any like deep wounds at least have mended if you ever had if you had similar wounds that you're feeling and you're describing about your regrets of not like having had more closure with that you know actually my therapy group I was in I brought it up and everyone told me like yeah you should really reach out to him I think you're probably wise to do that yeah anyway this was your story time oh that's good um, not mine um, stories just... parallel each other uh, this has been Scott McClellan, one of my absolute best friends. As well as one of mine and Mika. Um, yeah, um, thank you. Thank you again. Thanks. A huge thank you to Scott for being willing to share. Um, and a thank you to Britton for doing the podcast image and to Pink Pocket Squares for the use of their song, Tainted Rhythm. If you need to get a hold of me, uh, my name is Mika McIntosh, and you can find me on most social media platforms. That's Mika spelled M-I-K-A. Follow that tainted, follow that tainted, follow that tainted.